I'm a narrow cat, no wide flows. African descent, that's why I got the wide nose. With my kinky hair and black skin, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's in the image of a god that is beautiful and whose infinite word is immutable. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of HBCU, where we are healing brown communities unconditionally. You are here with your host, Akima. You can follow me on any social media platform of your choosing, at Princess Akima. And you've got Macau here at MacauHaleem underscore wellness. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook, and that is spelled M-I-K-A-L-H-A-L-I-M, one word. Awesome. I also want to remind everyone listening to our podcast one, thank you so much for checking out HBCU. You can listen to us on all your favorite listening platforms. Just look for Dive Media. You can check out our podcast, HBCU, as well as all the various podcasts available to you. With that said, guys, you all know in healing, we're going to touch on everything and emphasis on touch today because we are actually going to go in healing through touch. Um, And we're super excited to do this episode. Not sure how many of you would consider touch as a a way to heal your body, to heal your emotions, to heal your mind. But we're going to dig deep into healing the role of our healers, um, some things ancestrally through history, and just we're just going to talk through healing. We hope that this um, episode not only encourages you through the words, but maybe that you would can I say touch yourself in a healing, safe kind of way? Can I say that, that (laughs) No pun intended, right? (laughs) No pun intended, guys. We, um, there's when and, that, and it's funny too that we're actually and to take the, the laughter off of that because there's so many negative things that we're going to dig into that too today. So we're just excited. We're going to talk through all the things. So just you know take a take a seat. And, you know buckle yourself in. Um, and we're going to get going. I'm going to also be. I want to give credit. So a lot of the things that um, McCall and I you know talk about and it's super important to us is that we are scholars. You know both of us I'd say we are pretty scholarly. And so we are referencing materials from time to time. And when we do so, we want to make sure if it's an article, if it is a piece of literature, if it's a book, we're going to give credit to it. So you're going to hear a lot of things from me today from a um, doctor. And she's also a registered nurse, Dolores uh, Krieger. There's a really good book that she wrote called The Therapeutic Touch and How to Use Your Hands to Help and to Heal. So a lot of the things I know I'm personally going to be sharing today are going to be coming out of that book because um, I'm one in my personal practice that uses touch and healing. And I have always been one that believed that there is so much healing available through touch. And um, on my end, I'm going to be using Neely Fuller Jr. as my reference today. And uh, Neely Fuller has a very interesting text that he wrote Um, and I believe the first edition is from 1984, and I'm talking of the United Independent Compensatory Code System concept. This is a long title, Mm -hmm. y'all. I'm sorry, Compensatory Counter-Racist Code, which is a textbook workbook for thought, speech, and or action for victims of racism and white supremacy. And I will also be um, not more so focusing on racism. I know we've got racism in the title, but there are some very constructive elements of touch regarding the relationships between uh, black and brown men and women in the homes, domestically, in education, and so forth. Yeah, and we want to touch on all the things because it's like you can't have one without the other. So kind of jumping into it, we want to talk a little bit about, so we've heard, I I would say, Mikhail, that we've heard that term healer, you know, like these are the healers, be it a tribal thing, be it those who um, subscribe to some sort of faith. You know, we've always heard the word healer and certain individuals who were 
um, ascribe that title. And so it's kind of like, well, what does that even mean? What is the role of the healer? Um, as it relates to touch, this, this individual, in my opinion, and also some of the things that Dr. Krieger shares in her book, is talking about how the healer is a conduit for what's happening. So it's not always in and of themselves, like that individual is the one that is like, like I have this power in me per se to heal, but one that can lay hands on another individual and hold that safe space for that person and be that conduit. And so um, that that's something that I think is really important. And also to like for individuals who take on healing, sometimes I don't even know if people recognize that they are in that role or fashion until sometimes another individual can recognize that in them. And so it's like, man, I think that you may have, and I've heard that term, like, I think you may have this gift of healing. And of course, you know, depending upon what you subscribe to, um, where does that come from and who's given that to you? But that has been indicative. I actually want to, um, I actually want to read a lot of things, which y'all know we keep our podcast not too, not too, <laughs> but I wanted to talk through healing. And this is a, I'm going to, read um, verbatim out of um, Dr. Krieger's book. And it says, can you heal? History gives evidence that you can. The therapeutic use of hands is an exceedingly ancient example of man's ability to help man. There is a written history of it that goes back some 5,000 years, and there is a pictorial evidence in cave paintings in the Pyrenees that have been established to date back to 1,500 years. Evidence of its use is demonstrated in the ancient traditions which continue to be handed down from teacher to pupil in India, in Tibet, and in China and in early rock carvings in both Egypt and Chaldea. And it's also in the writings of both the Old and New Testament and Judeo-Christian um, writings. And so touch is not anything that's new, but I feel like it's something that's been set aside. Although as her book says, and as I believe throughout history, various cultures, various people groups have used touch as a means to um, help their fellow person. And um, I'll go ahead and piggyback off of what you're saying, especially you just brought up the Judeo-Christian um, sort of umbrella. And, you know, just thinking about how, and I'll use myself as an example, growing up in a black church, um, as a, in a non-denominational Christian environment, you know, every Sunday, how are hands used um, in altar calls when members of the congregation um, announced that they had a sickness or you know, there was uh, the altar call where, you know, people were, quote unquote, giving their lives over to the Lord. There was a hands in there. There was a laying of hands through all these processes in which a healing was taking place. And, the, you know, the deacon board would come forth and um, their gloves and all those things were symbolic of, of the healing. And but it, it took place when the actual hands were laid on members of the congregation and um, those things are connected really deeply with us spiritually. And so I find that when we're talking about touch, we're looking at context because touch can go in so many directions. Um, you've got the constructive touch and you've got non-constructive touch. But as where we're looking to, to implement touch and reinstitute this, this healing dynamic of touch is how are we going to examine how we communicate through touch moving forward? And I know Akima, um, Reflexology is something that comes up um, lately in terms of, of areas of healing. Um, is that something that you have any additional insight on? He know I do, y'all. He want me to talk. That's what that is. <laughs> no, Slide it so. In. 
I'm going to slide it in there. I mean, it's fine. You know, we, um, we will definitely throughout the course of these various podcasts talk about the things that we would consider ourselves a little more well-versed in. And so one of the things that I do offer in my holistic health practice is I do offer reflexology. And I haven't had one person, and shout out to all y'all who've had these magical hands touch you. Um, I haven't had one person that hasn't, that has been touched by me physically, that has not fallen asleep on my um, massage bed. Like they, they, they rest, they find peace. And it doesn't matter where they are when they come to see me the moment you begin to touch an individual and they feel safe, they feel relaxed, they feel calm, their body can go to a place of relaxation. And I'm not talking about like a deep sleep where it's snoring, but there is a safety that is communicated through that touch. And even though as it relates to reflexology, for those of you all who don't know, um, and you can have reflexology done on your hands, on your ears, and on your feet. Um, but I actually focus on the feet of an individual. So if you, you know, if that's of interest of you, but there are different points on the bottoms of the feet that are related to traditional Chinese medicine, where this part of the foot can represent a particular body system or a particular organ. So if an individual, you know, comes in the office and they have a particular situation or a concern going on, we can focus on that part of the foot to bring support to that part of the body. The thing with touch, and this is um, similar whether you're getting reflexology, for those of you all who have inquired of, or if you've experienced like acupressure, acupuncture, that pressure that is going on, it is encouraging blood flow. Well, the same way if you were to like grab your hand right now and squeeze your arm and blood would be encouraged to flow there, blood is healing. When there's touch and certain pressure applied to different parts of the body, it's going to encourage blood flow. And when blood is flowing through the body, there is a healing that is happening with that because our blood is healing to our bodies. And if you've never considered that that blood that's flowing around and pumping through the chambers of your heart, going to your brain, to your feet and back to the heart is there to help to heal and to sustain, please know that. And when you are touched by another individual, and I know we alluded to like touch in the church, but this is touch like even outside, like think about when an individual, you know, that pat on the back, that long embrace by someone who cares for you, the things that are transferred between you and that other person. And um, it's a beautiful thing. But yeah, so reflexology, I know I gave a whole long convoluted answer to that question. Pressure is applied, blood is encouraged to come, and it definitely can help with healing different organs, um, different body systems, and helping with the functionality of different organs in the body. And um, I just wanted to go ahead and, and tell a quick story real quick, because it came in listening to you. Um, I've got to put context to the role that African women have played uh, historically. Mm-hmm. in regarding to touch because we're still remember we're we're healing brown communities unconditionally on the show and um there was a an interview that i saw and uh, we had an unsung episode where we discussed dr sabi not long ago and i saw an interview with i believe there were two of his children and one of his grand and his grandson but when his daughter spoke about his company with women um, Dr. Sebi, if you look at some of his videos, you'll, you'll see that he's often, when he's around, laying around, or if he's in his own personal space on his personal time, he'll have a female in his presence. And, um, you know, some people may get the wrong idea of, of what that represented. So it was wonderful to, one, hear a woman speak on her father's behalf of, of what that meant. But it was so intriguing to me because it came as she said that Dr. Sebi always kept women around because he knew the healing capacity of African women. 
and just having their presence near him. And I can speak to that as a man myself. Um, there's a component of, uh, of healing, even just being in, in coexisting in the same space as an African woman. And um, again, going back to the laying on of hands, because we're talking about the constructive versus the non-constructive mm -hmm. and understanding just the core of an African woman's existence and hearing Akima how you touch and reach out and have an understanding that goes beyond what you read in the book, I'm assuming. And I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but your- Y'all know he stayed putting words in my mouth. Sorry, <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, it, it sounds to me that you have an overarching capacity in existence to bring healing to people and some of your clients, so to speak. You know, I want to say that, and it's, and it's interesting too, because you know, it's like, I have to know when to like turn off the like billable time, right? You know, when an individual comes in, there's things that I've studied and it's like, hey, it's going to cost you X, Y, and Z versus just knowing that there is something that's inside of me that transcends that time, that time spent. And so you're absolutely right that there, there is that. And I get that feedback a lot, you know, that like, man, and I don't think it's because it's me versus another um, African woman, more so it's just that I have taken the time to tap into that part of me um, as part of the work that I do. I think a lot of times this life doesn't really allow us to. And, you know, and again, I'm going to sound like a broken record to my, any of my clients that are listening. I'm always like, this life does not allow you to take time to care for yourself. And a lot of times this life doesn't take time for you to learn about those intricate details and those things that have been put inside of you. And so I believe, but I, but I also think that there is that other part where it probably is happening when we think about like the role of women, like in the home and that compassion and that love um, that is transferred. I remember, I, and I'm going back to the reflexology, but this is just, again, story time. I remember I was uh, working on one of my male clients, um, a man of African descent, and I was, you know, doing reflexology on his feet. And if he's listening, you know, shout out to you, won't say any names. And I told him, I was like, you know, as I'm sitting here rubbing your feet, and this has been like in the height of everything that's going on, just everything that's going on, y'all, y'all can take that however you want to. This episode is being recorded in 2020. And so I was like, I could imagine like women during slavery time, you know, rubbing the feet of men. I mean, whether it Absolutely. was like your man or not, right? Like not because in the community, it was like, we all had to take care of each other. There really wasn't a, well, this is me and my family. It's like, if he came in or if he had been wounded or if he had been forced to work extra hours or if he had been forced to walk to the next plantation that was like, you know, a day's journey and what his feet might've looked like and recognizing and knowing that that touch and encouraging that blood flow in the feet. And as I was rubbing his feet, like I was reminded of that. And I was actually grateful to have like that experience. Um, and obviously, you know, we're not living in a time where we are, we're dealing with our own set of things right now, but that's not what we dealt with. But it was interesting that I came to mind. And when I shared it with him, as I was doing his reflexology, it resonated with him as well. And I was just like, man, like I was, and I just was sitting there and just kind of contemplating, you know, and the music was going and the vibe and everything was there, but I'm sitting here rubbing his feet, grateful to, to be doing that and wondering how many women before me have been rubbing the feet of men to help them heal so that they can do their next day's journey. And you know, Akima, um, you were talking about just the laying on the hands, and that even reminds me of the scene in Glory, when, and I'm and speaking to the care that our women took care, you know, I'm going to say care, that they took care of us, but the care that was implemented 
when um you know in the situation where where men were out in the battlefield though i remember the one scene uh where denzel went to get the shoes we all remember the scene where mm -hmm. the got to go get the shoes because his feet were killing him and um but when he was caught he was whipped and we can remember i mean he was beaten savagely yeah and if we can recall that scene afterwards there were women who had surrounded him and who were laying the hands and the cloths across the scars on his back and so forth and um we can find that actually um slight transition but not really because we're still talking about healing and touch um you know there are studies now being done where indigenous groups of of women globally are being looked to to see what some of their healing practices regarding touch and presence and how how to implement disciplinary practices in western education so you're finding i'm a special education teacher so you'll find that you know schools they want to flood you know, little black boys and black teenage girls into these special education markets. But when there's a disconnect with how to teach them and how to keep them engaged, all of a sudden everything goes out the window and yeah. the discipline becomes very toxic. But, you know, now studies are, are showing that they're going actually into the Caribbean. They're going deep into South America, deep into uh, uh, New Zealand. I've got an article where, you know, they're going and looking at the indigenous, indigenous practices that some of our women have used um, to calm children down, to help them ease through their, their emotional turmoil and their Absolutely. stresses and, and so on and so forth. And I say any of our mothers and grandmothers and, you know, us aunties who are um, here, we know, we know how much a calming touch um, I mean, and I think that gets coupled with our voices, but we're talking about the power of just touch and what touch communicates. I think this is actually a good point to segue into um, into this next point. And I will say for any parents that may be listening with your children, just giving a heads up, we're going to touch on a few things here. Um, how do you think touch is perceived in the Black community? Well, as a man, again, I, in the beginning of the show, I mentioned two words and I said, constructive and non-constructive um, because we really don't want to focus in on a lot of the trauma and the turmoil that um, black and brown children and even you know young teenagers and adults because you know the, the abusive side and the non-constructive side of touch um, it doesn't discriminate for age or anything like that um, but you know there was there was something that was particularly on my mind regarding sexual abuse um, domestic violence and things of that nature, um, mm -hmm. because a lot of a lot of us, and if I recall correctly, maybe ten years ago, the statistic was that one out of every four African American children had been touched in some inappropriate capacity in the home. And you know, I just couldn't help but think, uh, well, a, I'm one, and I, I wasn't touched in the home, so I don't want anybody to get that twisted. But just right. within the home environment of our communities. Um, and, you know, our friends and older men and women who we encounter um, while we're out at school and we're at the rec center and things of that nature. But my thought was how those things have impacted the way that we perceive touch. Because now yeah. I've, I found myself being on guard around certain people. And um, that's not always the most constructive thing. And I'm going to go back into the United Independent Compensatory Code System concept uh, written by Neely Fuller Jr. Because I think he has some very constructive uh, parameters, codified parameters 
set aside for for victims um for victims of of i would say sexual abuse and domestic violence because we we see we're still seeing numbers spike in those areas in our homes and in our communities and in our schools and the first one i wanted to to touch on akima he said something interesting about sexual intercourse because there's a lot of toxic information circulating in the media about the role of black men and black women and how we engage each other, the roles of black men and women and how we are to codify our engagement and how often we touch each other, what capacities we touch each other, why we're putting our hands on one another, what for. And um, there's an interesting uh, suggestion that he has regarding sexual intercourse because he really goes into the time and energy of sexual intercourse and how that can be can turn abusive easily um, when we're doing it too much or we're doing it just just to feel good for a moment and we're yeah. not really exploring the capacities and the origins of why we are engaging in this capacity and so one of his suggestions was that you know black couples should only engage in sexual intercourse twice a week and that would force us to really examine well why are we doing this versus you know, just coming home and, oh, girl, you look good. And, you know, there's all kinds of things that we think of when, when black men see black women, black women see black men. Yeah. And the media helps us to sexualize one another. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's becoming almost easy for me to see you and look, look at the shape of your body and, and, and start to internalize all these sexual components of you. And now I want to jump into bed. And it's, you know, now we're going into the non-constructive. But what are some of the components that we can uh, implement? And um, nearly full of suggest codification. And I don't know, Kim, if you've had any um, other suggestions or things that you've come across. Um, well, I, I do. But listen, you got to help me and the listeners out here. Can you define codification um, for us? I know oh, that's absolutely. the title, but I know there's some of us who are listening who are like, mm, what's that mean? So you do that. And then I'm going to jump in and share some of my thoughts. Absolutely. So codification, people, um, it's really coming up with a system. We're talking about a system of thought, speech, and action that works. And what I say is what works, um, I'll use something simple as mathematics. You know, the Pythagorean theorem, A squared plus B squared. Oh, he's taking y'all to school, y'all. He's taking y'all to school. <laughs> you know, there's a codified formula to get to, and it, it is what we call the Pythagorean theorem, where you have A squared plus B squared is going to give you C squared every single time. So Neely Fuller, when he speaks of codification in the thought, speech of action of black people, what are we doing that works? What are we going to do that works? And so um, I'll go into that second point. Um, there's a rule for victims of domestic violence, because we're still talking about touch and healing from this thing and protecting ourselves as well, which women often find themselves having to protect themselves within their own homes from, from toxic individuals. Mm-hmm. But um, he also has a suggested rule. It is first time, last time. And first time, last time refers to any incident where a black man or a black woman physically strikes the other. And that is the first time. But we are to examine, you know, just talking about the re-examination of how we engage each other in the homes, black men and black women, and the rule of first time, last time, which is a code. Speaking of codification, if, uh, 
because we're going to find that black women within the home often find themselves being struck physically by men in domestic violence situations. But for a woman to adopt a mentality of first time, last time, meaning the first time that she is struck by that individual needs to be the last time that she is struck by that individual. And she is going to empower herself to remove herself if she can, because I don't want to go into too many details. I'm not pretending like, you know, sisters can just pack a bag and, and it's that easy and she can just walk out. But if we can start to implement codified approaches to how uh, we engage one another with things such as first time, last time, how often we're having sexual intercourse in the home and things of that nature. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And, you know, I'm going to say something to wrap up that point about, you know, over-sexualizing and like too much, too soon, too quick is what I, I think about you know, like how when we peer into the life of another human being, you know, we started our podcast off today talking about like the role of touch and healing and restoration and laying on of hands and all these beautiful things that are um, contained within touch. And then to be here, and it was necessary for us to also talk about these things as well, because touch has been perverted, right? And so I feel like when I had asked you the question before of like, how do you feel like touch is perceived in the Black community? I feel like unfortunately touch is, um, you know, people don't want to be touched. People have a bad connotation towards touch or it's only sexual and there is no middle ground between like, can I touch another person and it be of a pure, um, coming from a pure place opposed to it coming from a place of perversion or even selfishness because if I'm only looking to touch you so that you can touch me so that I can get something from this then there is something very selfish about that and then I think that the role of healing through touch gets lost because of the um, the motivation behind wanting to be touched and I think as we think about, you know, our purposes and like really trying to heal our communities, we have to get back to uh, pureness in our own hearts so that we can even express touch in a way that is for the benefit of the other person, opposed to purely looking for touch to be of a benefit to ourselves. And then that's like even like training wheels for me, because I think beyond that, we're then also going to be looking towards touch being a, and being a conduit, you know, of healing for another individual. I think that that is just like a whole thing that needs to be explored. Um, I can't help and, I'll, and I'm going to drop this in here because I feel like it's something, especially as a woman, a Black woman, it's something that we all think about because when I was thinking about, well, how is touch perceived in the Black community? I always think about like, well, don't leave the kids like with that uncle right and if you're listening you know exactly what i mean when i say that or with that individual and it's like there's something really dark and really scary and really hidden and really not discussed and i don't believe that we can get to a place of healing if we're not going to be honest we're not going to be transparent if we're not going to hold individuals accountable and responsible and i want that to be a statement that if someone listens to this podcast you know five generations from now and as it relates to our community I want them to not know what that means I want them to not know what that uncle means because unfortunately Agreed. As women, we all know <laughs> we all know what that means and the ones that we would not want our children to be near and it's a really really unfortunate place for us to be as a community 
and you know, came as a teacher because you know I want to actually complete. I feel like I, I digressed on that last point, but um, as a teacher, my role and what the role of touching the community, I have to think about those things because yeah. you know there's been a lot, a lot of abuse that's taking place between teacher and student, um, and this is happening in our schools today. And so I'm very cognizant and aware of distances that I keep when I have female students in front of me. Yep. Or if female, you know, because during my planning period, perfect example, um, I always offer opportunities for students to come into the room who may have missed a talking point or if they need to go back over a certain set of notes or something. But I leave my door and I extend that to them. Um, but there's a responsibility within that. Yes. So how do I engage a young female, a young male when they come into the room? Some of, you know, it came with some of, a lot of my females, they'll say, oh, Mr. Williams, oh, I love Mr. Williams. And, you know, they love my personality. That's great. And I love that I have that relationship with them. However, however. <laughs> that, you know, it's a however coming. It's always a however. And um, mm -hmm. when they come into the room and they extend and open their arms and stretch forward, because now we're going into a different realm. You know, what is my position and how am I going to engage, touch, and have this remain constructive? And even for myself, you know, we've got an ugly history. And I think as black yeah. men, we have got to face it without you all. And this now is my personal opinion. Came like We've got to face the destruction that we've caused with black women. We've got to face that ourselves. That's a whole separate conversation that men need to have in the room by themselves. Yeah. And, um, but yes, so things like, you know, so the side hug, that's an example. Um, I have a rule for myself. I give my female students side hugs um, because there's been such perversion with, with the woman's breast, you know, pressed up against the man's chest and mm -hmm. you know, where his mind goes. And now we're still going into all this, the stuff that we see on TV and, and the symbolism and all those kind of things. But uh, regarding my role and the role of touch in the community as a man, um, we've got to start being very cognizant of, one, our history, the destruction that we have caused uh, historically, which is often not directly our fault. Um, and we could, I'm sure we could talk about that for another hour, but um, we have to be aware. I'm just speaking to the awareness and the consciousness um, that we're responsible to, to acquire when it comes to touch and our role of touch in the community. Absolutely. And as we wrap up our podcast today, um, we talked through a lot of things related to touch. And the thing that I want to be mindful of and really to answer, I think the call that Mikhail just put out there is, you know, our role has to be that this has to start in the family. Because if we teach proper touch at home, if we exhibit proper touch at home with our partners, with our spouses, with our children, with our parents, whomever is in your home with you, I believe that we'll be able to um, exercise appropriate and safe touch in the bigger and greater community. But I believe that that's going to start at home in the family. Um, McCall and I both want to thank everybody for listening to another episode of HBCU. Um, please, um, you all check out the next episode that's coming, that's coming out that'll drop soon. Because, you know, our goal here with this podcast is making sure that we are reaching to our highest potential. With that said, this is Akima. And this is McCall. We'll catch you next time, y'all. Peace out. Peace and love. 
not doing this here to insult ya. Want you to see he's the God of culture. The same God that made this variety at Babel. Now I live inside of me. I did this song here to invoke ya. All to see that he is a God of culture. The same God that made this variety at Babel. Now I live inside of me. Not doing this here to insult ya. Want you to see he's a God of culture. The same God that made this variety at Babel. Now I live inside of me. I did this song here to invoke ya, all to see that he is a god of culture. The same god that made this variety at Babel, now lives inside of me.